everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Doable Discipleship. You're listening to the show that helps you grow. Sorry, Jason, I stole that. Stole That's your all right. There. That's all right. You can um, take it. it. It felt good coming out of your, you know, it just yes. rolled with it. That was good. I just rolled with it. The show that helps you grow or the show designed to deepen your faith in God. Today we have a fantastic uh, conversation lined up with Kay Warren. Really excited. Kay, how are you doing? I am doing well this morning. Thank you so much, Brandon. And Jason, (laughs) we're really happy to have you join us again. Honestly, if we look back, I think this is your third time on the on the podcast. And every time we just see that people just can't get enough of hearing from what you have to say and are thinking about the different topics we had. The last time we had you was actually in our spiritual antidotes series, if I remember, after the COVID stuff first started. And you came and just and just gave such great advice to people and talking through kind of, yeah, this is a different season. Oh. We're in a different time right now. And um, I, I remember you had challenged us to ask you back six months later to see how you were doing. We, we forgot to do that. It's been a year, but- uh, <laughs> Be offended that you forgot to invite me back. Okay. I, I know, I, I, sh- I shouldn't have said forgot. I, that was a poor choice of words on my part. Um, but anyway- we're so important. <laughs> But we're we're excited that you're joining us yeah, in this really awesome series that we're in on on listening, and um, I know it's something that's that's been deep on your heart lately too. So we're really thankful to have you uh, here and join in on well, this conversation. I'm gonna I'm gonna give Brandon credit and think that he remembered to invite me back, and oh, um, <laughs> I'm gonna but, never let you forget this. Jason. Thanks, I know. I, <laughs> no, I forever. I'm, I'm starting. going to tease you about how you forgot about me. But um, <laughs> I was thinking this morning as I was, I knew I was going to be taping this today. And I was thinking of when we talked last year and how soon it was, or it feels like it was early. I didn't look at the exact date early in COVID. And um, yeah, wow. it felt like we had no idea what was ahead. We, Goodness, just, we did it. We did not know what all was going to, I think we still thought it was going to be rather short lived mm-hmm. and, you know, is a blip on the screen. We did not know how it was going to change everything about our lives for for I think probably some decades to come mm-hmm. so we were very yeah. naive but hopeful at the time mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it, it absolutely feels that that way especially during that season and my lord willing we're continuing we're going to continue to come out of that season um but with that it's been just a time I think for most people of deep reflection prayer, listening, you know, we've been uh, in this season talking about listening, but Kay, you know, you're someone um, that when I think about listening, that you're someone I feel like does it really well. And so you've been at this for a while. Um, so I'm just curious to know, like, as you've been in this kind of listening, maybe posture is the right word, a, a posture of listening. Have there been any key takeaways, any key realizations, uh, key moments for you that have come in this season? So many. I I mean, I paused because um, that's one of the things I'm actually trying to do right now is to write down, collect, like look at my journals, look at speaking engagements over this last year and actually compile it for myself. Because I think I I started the pandemic with I I started posting pictures of um, me making homemade bread because it feels like in the first couple of weeks, seriously, of the pandemic, yeah. and we thought it was just going to be, you know, like weeks, I I posted um, how I was making homemade bread. And if I was going to die in the zombie apocalypse, I was going to die with, with um, bread on my lips, you know, and, <laughs> and I just, 
you know, well, 15 pounds later, the bread on my lips has gone <laughs> other places and um, it didn't last just two weeks, but that just, you know, so it went from that kind of, kind of a jokey, uh, you know, quote, zombie, a cop, a cop, apocalypse to what actually has in some ways imitated an apocalyptic time for us. This, it's felt like many times we were in a dystopian novel and, um, yeah. and, and so I want to compile all those things that, that I've felt and learned and reflected on what I've heard from other people. It is a time of reflection and listening has been a, a huge part of it. Um, as you said, Brandon, very soon into maybe a month or probably two months, it feels like into the, the pandemic, which was so traumatic as it was, then there were the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and um, George Floyd and Breonna yeah. Taylor. And I don't, I'm not a historian or a social scientist, so I can't give you the exact reasons why their deaths catalyzed a new wave of conversation because certainly they were not the first to die in, in such tragic mm -hmm. circuit. They, there have been I don't even know the count how many since then and even in this ensuing year, but there was something about their deaths. Maybe it was the video of George Floyd that that you couldn't turn away from. You couldn't. It feels like to me it it there was no way to have the well, but what about and well, this or that it just you had it was right staring in front of our faces. And there was something yeah. about the horrific nature of his death that catalyzed not just me personally, but I think our church into some conversations. What's that you were going to say, Brandon? I was talking kind of long there. <laughs> no, no, I think oh, okay. that's, I think that's ex exactly right. I think it was a, we did a episode with Pastor Tom about like uh, Kairos time. And it felt like a Kairos moment of, things coalesce in a certain way. And I, there are really no expectations to do anything. Um, and our distractions were taken away from us. So it was just, it was kind of listen or don't listen, kind of just sitting in this bucket, um, so to speak. And yeah, I, I think our, we've been in that season as a church too, uh, since the summer, since uh, maybe this time last year, May, it was May, really June. close. Yeah. Cause it I think was, the one year yeah. anniversary is really, really close here. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, but I think it was, it was like an electric shock to me. I mean, it, it, mm. it, it jolted me, I think from, um, one plane of existence to another plane. That's, that's really the, all I can say. It jolted me from the way I was living my life um, to it's, it has radically shifted me. I think it's radically shifted. I think his death, when I say it, his death mm. radically shifted our, our lives, our church, um, where we are even heading, you know, what are some of the goals that we have for ourselves as a church shifted because of George Floyd's death and, um, the listening part. I mean, yes, there was, I think there was the sense then of, well, what do we do? What do we do? He, he, what do we do? And right. we had no idea what to do at all. But 
what did become clear pretty quickly was, and we need to hear the stories of our black staff members. We need to hear the stories of, of our congregants because while this has jolted many of us um, who are white, I don't know that it jolted anybody who was black. It, it, it must, I'm, you can correct me if I'm wrong. What I'm imagining, what I'm trying to say is, it probably, I'm assuming it felt like one of a thousand knives that come at mm. you every day, a stab in the heart. Whereas for me as a white woman, it was not only that stab in the heart of this is horrific to, oh my gosh, this cannot happen again. Right. Um, and so it had, it had an effect of not only hurting, but jolting. Whereas I'm guessing when that is part of life or you know so many stories. Yeah, am, I well, I, well, am I making sense what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say yeah, as a white yeah. person, it did something for me that I'm sure was different for you as as an African-American man. Yeah, so we're, I think so. So we're like located in different places with different life experiences and I, being a black man, right? I can't speak for right. the white American experience, but I think uh, for a lot of people in the black community in America, it was a uh, painful moment of bringing up a lot of uh, previous trauma, but there was also, I think a little bit of um, relief, maybe is the right word of like, see, Kind of a, a maybe not relief, but a validation of exactly this. Finally, finally, you yes, see it. someone else finally. sees it. Yeah. Um, and the moment was, I think, the moment we were in culturally allowed us to see it. But if I could give you some credit, too, Kay, I think the part of the reason why it jolted you in your words was because of your your past history. Um, with listening, but you're, you're positioned in the right way and you had the right posture to receive, uh, to receive the message or to receive, uh, receive the moment properly. And well, Jason, I'll let you get into that, but I'd love to get into kind of your past history as well with listening. Well, yeah. And, and that's where we were. That's was the spur that kind of made us think like we should have K on this season. Definitely. Yeah. Because we were thinking about the different ways that we engage with listening. And one of the key ways, and it's, and it was, it was true and everything that you were just talking about right there is listening to people who are crying out in pain. And, and so often we may not notice or we may ignore, or we may choose to be naive about it or what, but there are people all the time all over the place who are crying out in pain and it's it's important for for us as people but more importantly as, as disciples as followers of Christ to listen to make sure that we have ears to hear and eyes to see and so when we were talking about that we thought okay who has better stories than this than Kay does and, and so so Kay I, I we're going to come back to the modern day, the present, a little bit later in our, in our conversation. But I wanted to ask if you could give kind of just a little background lesson for people and go back to that time. I, I believe the story goes that you were watching something on TV 
and it was about stuff that was going on in Africa and and you were just a changed person yeah. after that you, you had one of these moments of I did I did you're close I was reading a magazine oh that, that's what reading. it was magazine that's okay um you're close it was media I was I was reading um a magazine sitting in my you know living room drinking a cup of tea just kind of casually going through the millions of magazines that feels like we get every, <laughs> every week and there was a cover story on AIDS in Africa this was 2002 um it's almost 20 years I believe, but I was, uh, it was about, um, AIDS in Africa. And so, and at the time I didn't care. I really, I didn't know anything about it. I really didn't know about AIDS anywhere. And what I did know was wrong. And, um, they just, you know, I, I don't know why other than I felt compelled by the Holy spirit mm-hmm. to read that article. And so I did, I opened it. I started reading about it. It was, you know, there were graphic pictures, people, uh, men and women, you know, dying too weak to brush the flies. I mean, the pictures were heartrending and, and they were so much, so I couldn't look at them. And so I genuinely tried to not look at the pictures, but read the words. So I covered my face with my hands and tried to just peek through my fingers at the words. Cause I couldn't take the pictures, mm. but, um, I've, I've said this many times, I feel like God was sneaky. And so it's like, okay, you're not going to look at the pictures. I'll get you with the words. And there was this little box in the middle of the article that said at that time, 2002, that 12 million children had been orphaned in Africa because of HIV AIDS. And I threw that magazine down on the ground because it, again, there was a jolt. It was like, that cannot be. There cannot be that many children orphaned due to one illness in on one continent and I not know anything about it. How is that possible? You know, it was like on every level I was rejecting it as true. That can't be possible. I would know about it. That can't be possible. That many children can't be left orphaned. Um, there can't be that many. You know, it's like I rejected it on every level because it was too much. But I also couldn't get away from it. And and that those words just began to haunt me and I would go to sleep at night and think about that. And I would wake up in the morning and I would think about it. And it got to the place I felt like God was hounding me. He just wasn't going to let me alone. And, and even as I began to believe it was true, then I panicked with the, well, you, there's nothing I can do. You can't, you can't mean me. What would I do? What, a white suburban mom with a minivan what do i know about an illness you know in on another continent uh, leave me alone i don't know what to do with this but um but it really did i mean for a month it was i couldn't get away from it and came to the a place of surrender where it it it, it became increasingly clear to me that god had brought that into my life for a reason that, that he did indeed expect and was asking me to do something about it. And it, it became a surrender moment where I was either going to say yes to God or I was going to say no. And I'd been a Christian long enough by that at that point to know that that's not the way I want to live with God. I don't want to live in that place of where I am actively saying no to him. I mean, it's, it's one thing if we, you know, we sin with ignorance or, or God hasn't brought an awareness to us yet. And um, 
but man, when he brings an awareness of a place and where we know we are consciously saying, I will not do what mm. you just asked me to do. Mm. That's a dangerous place to be. Um, it's, it's not a place I want to be. And yet to say yes, felt impossible out of my league way in over my head. Um, so I didn't feel like I had any good choices. Saying yes, <laughs> didn't feel good, but I knew that I couldn't say no either. And um, so I did. Oh. I, 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 it, it, it came to that place of where I remember so clearly of saying, okay, I think you've got the wrong person here, but okay, I'll say yes. And when I did, when I actually made that surrender to God, I collapsed with weeping of a broken heart because mm. it still makes me cry because there was so much suffering involved that I knew nothing about. I was ignorant about, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't see whatever. And, and so it changed my life radically. I spent the next 10 years as an advocate, a global advocate for people with HIV and for orphans and then um, brought that into our church. It, it was not just something for other people. It was no, our church, Saddleback, has to care for people who are suffering. And watching God now do that over and over in the last 20 years, taking me from place to place, and I don't mean literal place, I mean emotional and spiritual yeah. moments of, I am asking you to say yes to me again here to listen to people in pain. Yeah. Was that one of the first times, Cade, that you can like vividly like say that this was a moment of of like I, I feel like the earwax just fell out, that the scales fell off and changes happened? Or is are there times before that that you can say, okay, I can see how God was building something here in me to be uh, more aware or attuned. About suffering, mm -hmm. I feel like that was the that was the first moment that God mm -hmm. brought me face to face in such a hard, like a hard stop. I am, I mean, I mean, I ran into that wall, <laughs> I ran into that wall. Yeah. So I feel like that was the first moment of um, really hearing people suffering in a way that I had not before, but I had had an experience of that moment again of hearing from God and part of me going, no way, no way. But then saying yes. And that was when I married Rick. And when he asked me to, to marry him, we'd been dating eight days. Oh, it's an amazing story. Yeah, and I won't tell the whole thing. But the point is, it, that, was, that was probably the first moment for me of saying yes about something that made no sense. Mm -hmm. It did not make sense to say yes to Rick Warren eight days after our first date. I wasn't in love with him. He was a nice guy but I wasn't interested in him. And yet so clearly God said, say yes to him. And again, I'm like, what? what? <laughs> what? This is not the way it happens in the fairy tales. This is not the way it happens in the rom-com. You know, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. Um, but again, that sense of saying yes in a ridiculous way or saying no to God. Mm. it just was stark. So I think I, mm. that 
a few of those moments had prepared me for that giant yes around saying yes to HIV and orphan advocacy. Well, and that's what's so, and that's what's so cool is you now have this reputation, at least, at least with the staff at South, I can tell you, you have this reputation of being somebody who, who can listen and not just listen and take in, but listen and absorb. It's like you're, you know, a sponge that soaks it in, but then doesn't hold it in says, okay, what can I do with this now? And that's what yeah. was, and that's especially, I'm not to jump ahead to the current stuff again, but like, as you see from our staff meetings, people, our staff absolutely love how you engage with them in the chat in our, 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 our Zoom calls and give that encouragement and say, and say, okay, like we need to do something about this. And, you know, even a, a couple months ago, it was, okay, I'm going to start a prayer meeting or whatever, and we're going to be praying about this. And, and I'm going to have these conversations with Dr. Anita, and I'm going to have, you know, and all these different things. And, and that's, so even if, if it started back when you said yes to Rick, or if it started back when you said yes to Africa, it's, it's that say yes to God, not to quote the book title, but it's that say yes to God mentality that, that I just think people on, on staff at least, and then in a, congreg- a congregation and the broader people who know you, like that's, that's something being like, okay, I need to learn how to do that. But like, that's something I want to do more of. And then, so we have the Africa with the orphan care and HIV um, piece, which became a signature ministry at Saddleback. And then uh, fast forward a little bit, and then we get to the onset of the mental health ministry. Now, I know that you um, and Kay have known for, or and Rick had known for a while that that was something that was going to be something that you would be pouring your hearts into. But if you could talk through just a little bit, kind of that listening moment of, okay, I know, I, I see that this is a thing mm-hmm. and I know that this is something I'm going to be invested in. Yeah. Well, you know, that takes me to the hardest day of my life. Um, my, the worst day of my life, because mm-hmm. our youngest son, Matthew had lived with pretty serious mental illness from the time he was seven. Um, I, I just didn't even know children could have mental illness. And, and mm-hmm. so that was shocking to me when I, when we realized that, and then he for 20 years lived with an increasing level of, of mental illness till he um, died by suicide on, on April 5th, 2013. And um, yeah, that was, yeah, that it's been eight years and um, this you know, this is April, um, which is uh, the month of his anniversary. So April is always a very tender, tender month. Um, but I remember the day he died, uh, by the time we got home, um, and I was standing in my closet, motionless, because I, I knew, I couldn't even remember why I was standing in my closet. I it, Vaguely, I realized, oh, I was going to change clothes, but I was just standing in my closet and I, I, I knew that day that God was asking another really hard, Mm. um, yes, because I knew instinctively that I could not continue 
being an advocate for people with HIV and for orphans and be an advocate now for people with uh, mental illness and for suicide prevention. I simply couldn't divide myself that way. They were too intense and both asked a lot of me. Mm -hmm. And so I remember standing in, in that closet saying, but I, I don't want to do this. I liked the life I had. I loved that decade of ministry. I, yes, there was a lot of pain and a lot of heard a lot of painful stories, saw a lot of suffering around the world, but I loved that decade of ministry and I would have been completely happy to continue with it until, till Jesus comes for me. And, um, but to know that I had just been taken off of one road and almost against my will, it felt like been plunked down on another road. And I could, in my head, I could see like there's this road and it's, I, I'm very visual. And so in my head, I'm, I'm seeing myself in this little car of, on this road of HIV and orphan advocacy. And I'm in this little car and I love that road that I'm driving on. And God just like picked up my car and took it and put it down over here on this other road. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I want to be on that road. I don't want to be on this road. Mm. I want to be on that road. And um, if HIV and saying yes to God there was a choice, because I didn't, I don't have HIV. I don't, I didn't have anybody in my family who was HIV positive. I didn't know any orphans. So it wasn't personal. I was, I chose to take on the pain of other people. It wasn't my pain. I was choosing to take on the pain of someone else. Whereas in this, in around mental health and suicide provision, it couldn't get more personal. It was my son who had died. It was, it was as personal as it could get. And I didn't want it. I didn't want it. I didn't want to say yes. I didn't want to do that work. I didn't want to be an advocate. I, mm -hmm. I wanted, if I was going to be an advocate, I want, I had always envisioned Matthew would be there next to me. And it would be from this place of God had healed him. Um, mm -hmm. or God had allowed him to manage his illness. And, and we were going to be advocates together. Mm -hmm. This was something we were going to do together. This was not something I wanted to do as a grieving mother. No mm -hmm. way. Um, but it also came down again to, will I say yes or will I say no? And I, I just can't look God in the face and to his face. No, I will not follow you. I will not obey you. I will not surrender to you. I, I can't do that. Not because of what he'd do to me, not because of some terrible thing that, you know, no, it's, he loves me. He loves me so much. And I love him. Yeah. Um, so then has be, then there's been this eight year period of being an advocate for people with mental illness and oh, the stories of pain, the stories of people who are living with suicidal thoughts, the people who their loved one has died by suicide and then entering into the grief, the stories. Um, it's what God 
seems to do in my life is he takes me to these places of where people are suffering and in pain. And um, so when, you know, when George Floyd died and, and it was again, one of those jolts, it was like, that's my son under the knee of that police officer. That's my loved one. And it, it became very personal. So much so that again, I'm in this place of, I do not know what I'm doing. <laughs> I do not know what I'm doing. I don't even know what I'm saying yes to. I don't know what it is you're asking God, but I do get now after these experiences of, I know my answer is going to be yes. My answer is going to be yes. I just don't know what you're asking and I don't know what it will cost and I don't know what I can do, but the bottom line answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you, Kay, for opening it up and, and sharing your story with us and um, trusting us and our, our doable family with the, the tender, the tender parts. Um, side note about you and Rick, uh, him asking you to marry him after eight days. I remember when I first came on staff, I maybe had been on staff for like three weeks and I heard that story. Um, and I was like, I don't know them well yet, but somehow that seems like the most quintessential Rick Warren thing of all time to like, he's okay, very impulsive. I know I'm ready. <laughs> he is very um, impulsive. <laughs> he'll tell you, he'll tell, <clears throat> he'll tell you if you've ever heard him, he'll kind of go, what I meant to say was, because he said, I, mm -hmm. I, will you marry me? And I'm like, what? And he's like, I, I, I love you. Will you marry me? And he says, what I meant to say was, I like you. And maybe someday we could. <laughs> and I said, hey, buddy, that's not what you said. Don't you try to rewrite the history. You said, will you marry me? So. <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious. I Just listening to your story, I think you hit on something I think is really important because we are, we're not God um, and we have a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of energy and emotional uh, bandwidth. Um, and I think it's, it's, there's a, like a dual listening, listening to the Holy Spirit um, and also listening to the pain of others. But we, we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit to know when to move, where to go, what we're saying yes to, because we can't say yes to everything. We can't enter we don't have the bandwidth to enter into every pain point. In order, yeah. I think we're called to enter into every pain point. Um, so it's so important that we're listening to God. Like, what is what are you sensing God doing in your life? What are you? What are the things that you're feel like are sitting on you, or that your mind is always drifting off towards? You got that's the Holy Spirit. Take, write that down. Put Absolutely. that in your pocket. Pray through that. There, that those are key moments to know where God is directing you. If God's directing you to get off of the orphan care track into the mental health, those are things that you have to be in relationship and listening to God to know when to move. Um, and I think it's, those are the moments that, that build the foundation for when it does get hard, you know, no, I, I know I'm supposed to be here. I know that I'm called to be here. Well, it, God put it, me here. Yeah. It, 
And what's nice is in that time is God had raised up somebody else to take over the orphan care HIV mantle so that you could be freed up to go and, and do the next thing that he has. And he has been raising up people who have been working with you on the mental health side too. And so it's not that God, it's, it's not that the work that you did is, is gone. It's that God has, you know, has raised up the next generation, if you will. But, but here's, but here's something that, yes, that is absolutely true. And here's the other side of that. In some ways, it's none of my business. Mm -hmm. mm. What God does with what it is he's asked me to let go of. Sure. Because yeah. if that would put me in the place of being God, um, mm -hmm. God, I know you, it would be me saying, God, you must continue to do X, Y, Z, or I can't let go of this. I can't respond to what you're asking me to do because it feels like it's going to leave this uncovered or this undone, or this might actually stop if I don't mm -hmm. do X, Y, Z. And the the full surrender to God says it's it's really it's a hard stop. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. a yes. And mm -hmm. and I love it when he does keep this going or keeps that going sure. or brings somebody and and often he does, but sometimes he doesn't mm -hmm. or he doesn't do it in the timing that I think he should. Mm -hmm. And so what we have done sometimes, sometimes what we have done does die yeah. or it it fades or it becomes less important, or we don't ever see that moved to the place we thought it was going to, but that's not my business. Mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. business is out of John 21. My business is where Jesus says, "You, what is that to you? You mm -hmm. follow me. And so we, we have to be willing as we grow as disciples to not hold God over a barrel mm -hmm. and insist that if we say yes to him, then he has to yeah. do this over here. We just go on believing. I love what Elizabeth Elliot says. Um, she was just quickly when she was in um, Ecuador uh, before, I believe she even married her husband, Jim Elliot, and back in the 50s. She had translated all of these notes into, into a language that didn't have the word of God. And, and then that, and it was in a suitcase. And that suitcase was stolen. And she, all of that work, of course, no computer. It wasn't backed up. It wasn't duplicates. And so the sense is I just lost everything that I just spent years doing. And she says in her book, These Strange Ashes, but nothing of God's ever ends in ashes. And so we have to be willing to say yes to God knowing that on the human side, this feels like ashes in response, mm -hmm. but God never leaves his work in ashes. He will do what he's going to do in his time, in his way. That's his business. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm curious to know as well, okay, like for those listening or for those in the spot of, okay, like I, I know that I want to do something. I think God is asking me to do something but I have no roadmap. I don't have, I have nothing. Like what, what would you say to those people? What advice would you give for those who are in that in-between spot of like, something is there. I can feel it. I know it, but I don't know what to do. Um, 
what would you tell them? Well, so perfect that this is your series because that's where it starts. It it starts with listening. When it was HIV, I started by listening to the to the stories of people who were living with HIV. I listened to orphans. I listened to the medical professionals who were treating people, who were the scientists. I listened, I read, I listened, I heard um, everything. I, 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 it was a gathering. It was an information gathering um, thing. When I started in mental health, I'm not a mental health professional. I don't have any mental health degrees. So I'm not bringing that to the table. I had to listen to the stories um, and listen to those who were experts, those who had spent their life in this. As it's coming now to these, this pursuit of racial justice, I don't know anything or I know very little. And, and it, had, it's, it has started in that same way of listening to the stories of people in pain. It's involved, it's looking at history. It's, um, it's it, I am gathering information by listening, by learning, by, um, by entering into the pain. So anybody who wants to be involved in anything, who wants to engage in anything that they don't know what, they don't feel like they're necessarily prepared um, or they don't know how to begin, it has to start with listening. It has to start with learning. And um, I mean, how else can we move forward? We're moving in ignorance, we're moving, we'll actually probably do more harm, you know, than good mm -hmm. if we just start off into the activity. I was thinking of this, um, this um, construct, if you will, of, of how we move from those stages of unawareness to actually doing. And there's five words that I think um, in, in this pathway, and it's, we start in a place of apathy, usually. We don't know anything about something. Something hasn't caught our attention. It's not a passion of ours. So we're just kind of apathetic. And then we maybe have a moment of an awakening where, uh, I mean, where we're aware and, and we're like, oh yeah, there's this going on. It's caught our attention, but we're not necessarily passionate about it. But so we move from apathy to awareness to then there is that that maybe that jolt or that moment of awakening where it's like the scales fall are from our eyes or man our hearts are engaged we're we're burdened we're touched we're we sense uh whoa that's I need to know more about that or I this is what I care about and then we start becoming active we're we're learning we're we're getting educated we're talking to people and then we eventually end up in this place of advocacy where we are not only care about something we're not only aware of it we've been awakened we've begun to learn but we're actually moving to that place of doing oftentimes we want to just start with advocacy we want to just start with doing but that's where i think we do harm that's where i think we we move and we maybe haven't even really made a commitment we've just maybe something's touched us and we start going and we make mistakes and we do the wrong thing and we haven't counted the cost and and then people kind of like oh I, that's too hard but if you actually move through those stages of, of apathy to awareness and awaken and active then the advocacy is effective and it's powerful and we actually then do something that matters and that actually changes and transforms not only our lives but our our churches and our and our our culture and our world mm. that's good um we wanted to end the conversation 
by giving you a very broad, big question, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, so we've talked about all these kind of major things, especially in the last year, just how we've been just as a church, especially at Saddleback, just spe well, speaking of Saddleback is we've been in this season of, of listening and trying to see how God is moving in this way here. But you have been um, an advocate for listening in multiple different arenas right now. I didn't denominational arenas we have been in the season of listening as well and so I, I just wanted to kind of ask you Kay how do you see God moving in the church in this season it seems like he's doing something and I, I think every I, I think there's this awareness that God is working in this new way of maybe it's around like truly trying to understand other people kind of a, a focus on the other and in getting, you know, and it, it, empathy or whatever, but he's doing something. So what sense do you have kind of of, of the work that God may be doing right now? Mm. Yeah, that's, that is big. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I feel like, I feel like the church culturally, what a mess, <laughs> just culturally, we, we've been in a mess and it's been traumatic. And I think no matter what political stance someone takes, the last season of politics was traumatic. So much energy. It felt like so many people were engaged um, and engaged in opposition to each other. And, and that's exhausting. And, and it was traumatic for everybody. And um, and then the pandemic has changed us, as we've said. I mean, it's just changed our world. We'll never quite be the same. Um, and and then the the racial injustice that we were that we saw so clearly last year, I think, has changed us. So all of that leads, I believe, to an opportunity to. I I, I actually think this is one of those beautiful moments in history where collectively God has brought us to this place of saying yes we we're at that place we can either say yes to God or we can just say mm, I don't think so and and go in another direction but man what a price we will pay if we do not heed the Holy Spirit bringing us to this place as believers in Jesus Christ to to listen finally to listen with our hearts to people in pain, to listen to our brothers and sisters in pain as they tell us their stories. I will never forget. There've been so many moments in this year where we've um, had the opportunities to listen to our staff <clears throat> for, started with our black staff and the reason, and that was intentional. And the reason was for Rick and myself, the, the deliberate reason to do that was because in the United States, um, Black people have borne injustice in their bodies, in their lives, in their every part of who they are for more than 400 years. Um, and they have been standing in line for 400 years um, for white America to hear and see and acknowledge and listen and repent and lament and learn and 
before we listen to the stories of other people in our country, African, excuse me, American, my mouth, Asian American and Pacific Islanders and Hispanics and South Asians and people from all other sorts of places in our world have also experienced a lot of injustice in, in our country. But the African American experience, the Black experience is unique. And so we made a deliberate attempt to listen to the stories of our Black staff first. And I probably will never get over, I hope I never get over. Um, I just couldn't believe the stories that we were hearing. Not that I couldn't believe them, that's not what I mean. I couldn't believe that we had the opportunity to hear the stories is what I mean. I couldn't believe that men and women were trusting us with their intimate stories of suffering, of abuse, of, of um, injustice. And we, it felt like, why, why have we, how have we earned the right to hear these stories? Um, there's no reason why people should trust us to this level to tell us these stories. And it just blew my mind as story after story, a man, woman, men and women told, uh, I won't forget one man who put his head down on the table as he was talking on this Zoom conversation and just silent sobs racked his body. And I was just so aching for him and also completely humbled to, uh, to be a witness of, of of his words and his pain. And those stories have just continued over this year as we have listened to more and more stories and people have trusted us with uh, some of the Asian American um, staff members. I keep saying, I am saying it right. See, I'm, I'm emotional. So my words are <laughs> kind of funky, but um, talked about, you know, changing their names when they came to this country so that they could fit in trying to blend in, you know, life became all about blending in and sublimating themselves, sublimating parts of their story, their culture, their traditions, their names. I think names, gosh, names are so personal. And to change your name or adapt your name to make it easier for somebody else to say it. I just, I, I recognized, um, I went from that place of, of unawareness to kind of this acute state of awareness. It's painful. And it's, James says in 119, be quick to listen, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. And white Christians in particular have not been quick to listen. We've been very slow to listen, quick to speak, but slow to listen. And um, listening is not comfortable. It, I, I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable most of the time because um, it's hard to hear, but it's also uh, an 
I just think it's a precious privilege. Dr. Anita Phillips, in an interview I did with her a few days ago, she said that when we listen to each other's pain, we have an opportunity to create these we moments. And we don't have to be the same color or the same ethnicity to be a part of a we. And that's mm. what we have as an opportunity in the church, so much more so than even culture. Because we have an opportunity to really be that true we. And to miss that, to miss that, man, we would cheat ourselves, cheat ourselves of experiencing what it is that God has intended all along in the mystery of his church, the mystery that he revealed of his church, where there is a true we experience that is greater than individual culture, individual ethnicity, individual backgrounds. It's a new we, and that we is sacred and precious, and it needs to be nurtured and protected and honored and pursued. And um, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a beautiful we that we can be a part of if we make those choices, make those decisions, hear God, listen to each other, and then create this beautiful we. That, that's beautiful. Hear God, listen to each other. That creates the beautiful we. I mean, that is really literally the kind of flow of the season. We've been talking about listening, but not just performative listening for listening's sake, but towards dialogue, which then leads towards relational health and relational growth. So, I mean, that was exactly well, well said. Um, I'm just going to say that sounds like a book title, The Beautiful We. So <laughs> we should trademark that right now. Trademarked. Nobody else can take hey, it. Hey, Warren that. said it. Reserve that URL right now. Yeah, she said it. We have it on tape. Um, no, that's awesome. Kay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. And as always, sharing your wisdom with us, uh, giving us all you got. We are truly better for it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, you guys know the deal. That is another episode of Doable Discipleship. We love you and we will be back with you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week